Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Sacred Text today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Sacred Text. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is me undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some me undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of me undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of me undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. Chapter 22. The Unexpected Task. Potter! Weasley! Will you pay attention? Professor McGonagall's irritated voice cracked like a whip through the transfiguration class on Thursday, and Harry and Ron both jumped and looked up. It was the end of the lesson. They had finished their work. The guinea fowl they had been changing into guinea pigs had been shut away in a large cage on Professor McGonagall's desk. I'm Matt Potts. I'm Marcel Cosman. I'm Hannah McGregor. And this is Harry Potter the Sacred Text, which please mashup edition. Woo! I love a mashup. Listeners, Vanessa is still on sabbatical doing brilliant and wonderful things like Vanessa always does. And that means that we are able to welcome guests to our podcast for another week. And this week we have the wonderful Marcel Cosman and Hannah McGregor, who are the co-hosts of Which Please, which is a fabulous podcast you all should listen to if you don't already. Hannah and Marcel are both scholars, writers, and teachers. Hannah teaches at Simon Fraser University in Canada, and Marcel teaches at the University of Alberta. Marcel and Hannah, thank you for being here on Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. 
Thanks for having us. We are reading chapter 22 from book four through the theme of ceremony this week. And Marcel, I've heard that you have a story to tell about ceremony. I do. I do. And because I'm ungovernable, I did it my way. <laughs> so, Are you going to sing that? No. <laughs> no. I, I scripted out my story for you. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> I've been thinking about how to talk about the PhD defense because it's a really weird ceremony. For folks who don't know, when you have finished writing your dissertation or your thesis, you have to. It's called go to defense. Experienced professors will challenge you on your work and you will defend it. But this is an entirely ceremonial process. They're not supposed to let you go to defense if you can't defend your project. Like, if there are indefensible problems, your supervisor or committee members should have already made you fix them. So, if you're going to defense, you're expected to pass. Everyone in the room knows this. Everyone knows this except you. That is, you know you're going to pass, (laughs) But you don't, you don't really know, you know? You don't really know. Mm. Like, what if you're the only one who doesn't pass? Like, what if you become the stuff of grad student lore? <laughs> a cautionary tale to choose your committee members wisely. But you have to pass because your supervisor already made dinner reservations and everyone is invited. So you have to pass. <laughs> So you give your presentation and then your examiners will examine you by asking you questions and you try to answer them graciously and confidently. And then before you know it, there's a bathroom break and you might actually have to pee next to one of your examiners. And that's pretty weird. But you do it anyway because you are confident that you are going to pass. (laughs) So then another round of questions comes and goes, and suddenly you're standing sweaty-palmed in the hall with a bunch of friends and an audacious second-year PhD student, and you don't know why they're there, and you're trying not to think about the fact that the examiners are taking a really long time to deliberate. (laughs) But before you know it, the chair of the defense committee opens the door, and literally no one remembers what happens between the door opening and someone saying the words, congratulations, Dr. Cosman. But something happens. You undoubtedly made promises that you will have to keep in those moments, but you don't remember what they are. And then that's it. And that's the ceremony. You walk into the room a student, and you walk out of the room a doctor. That's the ceremony. That's it. Marcel, that was so powerful. Oh, thank you. (laughs) This is so interesting because, I mean, one thing I'm wondering is like about ceremony. Ceremony is, it's not the same as ritual, I don't think. Maybe we'll get into Mm -hmm. this, but it is like something about rights or, or practices which are meant to adorn some action. But our ceremonial expectations can affect things because I, I once sat as an external reviewer of a Scottish, what they called a viva, a Scottish defense. Mm. And that was, I thought it was ceremonial. And I found out about halfway through, it was not ceremonial. This was an actual mm. defense. And I was woefully unprepared because I was expected to you know, be asking better questions and pushing in a different way for what I thought was a ceremonial process, right? Yeah. And I have, I have heard the horror stories of the person who goes in fully expecting that it is going to be ceremonial and then say an external examiner is like, no, this is not ceremonial. Yeah. 
And that the degree to which it's ceremonial, it's, it's interesting how we're starting to use this word right away to suggest a kind of emptiness, mm. right? A kind mm-hmm. of like going through the motions of something for the sake of the motions themselves, mm-hmm. where the content doesn't matter as much, which is, you know, I noticed... Yeah. Matt, in your notes, that you go to, like, history of religion for your origins. And I, of course, go to the OED, (laughs) where I found out that for a couple hundred years, ceremonial had another connotation, which was specifically about its emptiness. Hmm. That, like, it's a mere ceremony. I have a recurring segment on this podcast called Etymology Corner. And usually I am the conductor of the train which takes us to Etymology Corner, but this week it is our (laughs) guest conductor, Hannah McGregor. Mm. You're right. So so ceremony comes from like, it's imported into English from this Latin word, which I think comes from an Etruscan, like Etruscan priest performed some rites at this place called Care. Caerimonia was the original thing, and then, but it was imported into English as like this. You're right, like this, like a, a ceremonial function. Like this is that we're doing like almost for purposes of politeness, and almost immediately it becomes associated with empty formality, mm-hmm. with like, oh, here's an empty formality we have to go through. Now, one of the things that's interesting though I, that I want to ask about that is, you know, the the idea of formality as empty. Is that right? Aren't formalities only empty? Don't forms actually carry some meaning for us? Or isn't it the case that maybe because forms don't have set meanings that they allow for meanings to be invited into the space of the ceremony opens up? I don't know. These are all questions that I hope the chapter will help us explore. I don't think ceremony is empty, even with the PhD defense as a ceremony. It's not it's not empty. Like you are embodied in that space. You are abject. You are sweating. You are, you drank way too much water. Like you are suffering. I have been to a number of defenses and only one has ever appeared fun. Mm. And I foolishly thought maybe I too could have a fun defense. And (laughs) my defense wasn't bad. It was also on Zoom, so I was never standing sweaty palmed in a corner. I was sitting sweaty butted in a chair the whole time. But uh, there is something, I think, about ceremony that maybe it's the overlap between ceremony and ritual, but like that is the moment when you make the change from being a student to a doctor is by having this group of people say, okay, you're in the club now. You did it. On the the sort of continuing to use the analogy of the PhD defense, my supervisor repeatedly told me that the defense was not merely ceremonial, by which Mm. she meant that she was perfectly comfortable failing me at my defense. Oh, really? Yeah. Just a nice reminder. She was scary. Uh, But the, the concept of the merely ceremonial you know, suggests a particular relationship to ceremony, right? Which Mm -hmm. says it has no value Mm -hmm. in and of itself. But now that I am a person who conducts defenses, I have come to have a different appreciation for like, yeah, it is ceremonial in the sense that we're not going to put you in a position where you might fail this. Mm -hmm. And yet it remains an incredibly important rite of passage through which you are magically transformed Mm -hmm. from somebody who is not a doctor into somebody who is a doctor. And it's a very cool example of, like, the power of the speech act. Mm -hmm. There there aren't a ton of examples of 
ways that we transform people's status, right? There's marriage, there's mm-hmm. PhDs. That's all I can think of. Baptism, Baptism. bar mitzvah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Bat and all mitzvah. these things are kind of merely ceremonial, aren't they? Yeah. 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 I mean, as a person also who conducts some PhD defenses now, another thing that I've realized is what I thought was empty questioning in the original ceremony when I went through it as the person being examined. Mm-hmm. What I know now as a person who gives them is like, in many cases, when I'm asking someone to defend their dissertation, they just know more about the topic than I do. Mm-hmm. Like they have studied mm-hmm. it for, right? My questions are real questions. They actually are the expert in the room. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so the the defense, it feels like empty formality to them because they know what my concerns are. They know what my objections are. I'm asking them again. They're answering them in the way that they know that it's going to be satisfactory to me. But also the performance of that is also me just kind of suggesting, oh, you have studied this more than I have. And now in this room, you actually know this topic better than anybody. And mm-hmm. so our questions are for you to teach us a little bit. And yeah, so like the ceremony from the one side, especially when you're the one kind of under the gun, it feels mm-hmm. like you're being emptily grilled just for the purposes of grilling you. But now I realize <laughs> like on the other side, it's like, oh, no, we're actually going through the motions of saying we are asking you serious questions because you have the answers and we want to hear what the, mm-hmm. those answers are. Right. And so for the the examiner, it feels less ceremonial. Maybe it feels like we're actually learning something from the person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I connect this to this chapter because I feel like this is another one of those classic, like, are you identifying with the, with the characters? Are you in Harry's (gasps) position or are you in McGonagall's position? Because (gasps) McGonagall is the one who opens this chapter by informing Harry that there is a ceremony he will be taking part in Mm -hmm. and that he will not shame his school by failing to participate adequately in the ceremony. It matters because he is, you know, carrying the reputation of the school on his shoulders. McGonagall clearly has some sense of the significance of this ceremony. It means something to her Mm -hmm. in the way that, you know, it might mean something to you, Matt, when you sort of bring these real questions to your students. But for Harry, it is an arbitrary task that he has been given (laughs) That matters, but in mm-hmm. a way that he has very little sense of why it matters. So I had to hold that thought because before we talk about the chapter, we have to go through the ceremony of the 30-second recap. We have to remind oh, our listeners of what happens. happened in the chapter. I have to tell you, I, there's nothing I'd like more than to skip the 30-second recap because I'm a disaster at 30-second recaps. <laughs> but we, we got to do that before we talk about the chapter. But we're going to start exactly where you led us when we get there. Okay. Because I love it. I'm going to go first, if that's all right. It's the guest's privilege to not go first in the 30-second recap. The two of you will have to fight it out about who goes second or third. Okay. Would one of you please count me in? Just say three, two, one, go. Yep. Three, two, one, go. So Harry and Ron are in Transfiguration and they're, they're roughhousing and McGonagall's like, stop it. And also there's a ball coming. And also you have to wear dress robes and also Harry stick behind. Uh, you have to dance with someone. And he's like, what? I don't want to do that. And she says, it doesn't matter. You have to. And now he has to get a date. And there's some lamentable things that Ron says. And then they go to Hagrid's and Hagrid says, yes, I'm going. And I would also like a date, but he doesn't say that. And he also says, oh, by the way, this news reporter is no good. And then uh, they, they, they are trying to ask people out and he asks Cho and she says no. And Ron asks Floor and she says no. And then uh, they ask uh, Parvati and, and Padma and Ron says other nasty things in her mind he's going to somebody else that was so panicked i loved it yeah my (laughs) uh, yes my my blood pressure rises it was 
really good. It was like if you didn't finish describing the plot in 30 seconds, somebody was going to shoot you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Marcel, Hannah, who is uh, going second? Hannah is going to go second. Okay, somebody count in. Three, two, one, go. Okay, so this is the chapter where they are presented with the unexpected task, which is inviting somebody to the opening ball. So thematically, it's primarily concerned with the emerging norms of um, heteronormativity. Uh, We see Harry try and fail to get a date and then eventually um, invite Parvati, right? Yeah, anyway, this is mostly about Ron deciding that Hermione might be a viable object of sexual attraction. The end. Wow. I envy your calm. Mm. I just sort of, <laughs> well, <yeah>. you know, <laughs> Matt. The lack of panic. Is it's sort because of... Hannah did the reading, you know? Oh. <laughs> it's because I'm not, I'm never, I'm never concerned with the sort of minutiae of narrative. <laughs> I just, I just abstract to themes immediately. Shall we finish this round robin, Matt? Will you time Marcel? Yes. Can I count you in? Yeah. Three, two. One, go. Okay, so Harry and Ron are using Fred and George's trick wands, and Harry's turns into, I think, a haddock, and Ron's <laughs> turns into a rooster, and the rooster severs the head off of Harry's fish. So when he finally pays attention to what McGonagall is saying, the head of the fish like droops forward and I think falls off. Or something like that. Uh, oh shoot! I'm already at thirty seconds. <laughs> Marcel, I love you. This is I love. This you. is three strategies. <laughs> this is, this is, oh my god! I like it. I love it. Three strategies for thirty second recaps. Yeah, there's not one right way. So Hannah, before we did the thirty second recaps, you were starting to talk about this. This moment of ceremony that opens the chapter. Can you can you kind of restate that and say more about it? Yeah, yeah. So in that opening scene, we've got Ron and Harry in transfiguration class uh, and Harry receiving the news from Professor McGonagall that it is the duty of the champions to open the Yule Ball by dancing with their partner. And she makes it very clear that it is important that Harry, you know, not bring shame upon Hogwarts and that he be there with a partner ready to dance. This is news to Harry. It is horrifying news to Harry. He did not realize that there would be this very public ceremonial dimension to being one of the champions. And as we were talking about before, I'm really struck by the different way that McGonagall frames this ceremony versus how Harry experiences it like Mm -hmm. mcgonagall's got a very clear sense of why this matters and Mm. and a very clear sense of one's responsibility to the school Mm. to these sort of rituals to as she puts it doing what's expected of you Mm -hmm. and harry is just like sorry what i have to do what (laughs) i really love how harry says but I don't dance. And McGonagall says, oh, yes, you do. (laughs) (laughs) You are a school champion, so you dance. Yeah, and you like it, Mm -hmm. is sort of the the subtext. (laughs) I think the thing that's important with respect to the story you told, Marcel, 
about like ceremony is sort of like the meanings of it, the intentions of it may be unclear to the person participating mm-hmm. in it, right? Mm-hmm. This is where maybe that sense of emptiness that we also talked about came through. Like McGonagall doesn't spend any energy or even expend any energy considering the fact that Harry might want to know why it is important that the champions mm-hmm. open the ball by dancing or that that, that the champion mm-hmm. should have any particular role at the ball. She just says like, no, you're dancing. Why am I dancing? Because you are. Yeah. I don't know how to dance. Yeah. Yes, you do. Like there's no, there's no rationale or reason given, which I think is why ceremony gets this reputation of being mm-hmm. unreasoned or empty because mm-hmm. in many cases, you know, those ceremonies are unreflected upon, uncriticized. It's just like the way we've always done it and it has mm-hmm. some meaning or it's going to become a carrier for meaning for us. Maybe some meetings we don't expect or even want, but it's what we do, so here it is. Yeah. Right? And that's kind of the package that McGonagall gives to Harry in this moment. This is what it is. You must do it. Don't ask any questions. It's the way it's always been done. <laughs> Fall in line, basically, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting the difference between what McGonagall articulates to Harry as the expectation versus, which which, as you say, Matt, is kind of like emptied out of significance. Like she just says, it's tradition. Mm-hmm. It's expected. Yep. It's tradition and it's expected. The end. Yep. And so there's this sense that that without an understanding of the why of this tradition, it gets filled in fairly quickly mm. with Harry's yeah. own narratives of what it's about. And mm-hmm. what it becomes mm. about is the way Harry will be perceived by his classmates, like what he will look like with a particular partner, which then becomes sort of shorthand for, like, I guess his sexual viability? <laughs> I mean, That's it the is... subtext, right? I think, yeah. I think that's the subtext. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not even sure it's subtext. It, it might just, just be text. 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 It's, just, it's just text, okay? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah. that's not McGonagall yeah. doesn't say you have to op- you're opening the ball and get the hottest partner you can. No. Like McGonagall does not dictate heterosexual pairing. McGonagall dictates nothing. But you're gonna be in dress robes, you will be opening the ball. The end. She doesn't give any specifications. She doesn't even say they have to be from Hogwarts. He could ask anybody. Yeah. Yeah, Hmm. yeah, but immediately the rest of the chapter becomes not so much about the ceremony of the opening of the ball, Mm -hmm. because we don't get in the rest of this chapter discussion of, like, what dance will you be doing? Like, Mm -hmm. do we open it Mm -hmm. by waltzing? I mean, if the weird sisters are playing, do we open it by just kind of, like... Headbanging. Headbanging? Like, what's the... (laughs) What's the... It's a ball, but there's a... Unclear. All very unclear. The only thing yeah. we get for really for the rest of the chapter is this concern now with acquiring a date and a date yeah. that will look good. Yeah. Yep. And the a secondary ceremony sort of emerges as vital in this chapter, and that is the ceremony of asking someone out. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which has yeah. kind of this proxy relationship to the ball itself, right? Mm-hmm. That like you want to appear at the ball with somebody who makes you look good mm-hmm. and in order to acquire said partner, you must ask them out in a way that also signals to the rest of the school their value as a partner. Tell me more about that. What do you mean by that? So it's not just that you are trying to ask somebody out. It's that the way you ask somebody out matters 
because the way you ask them out indicates the degree to which you value them as a partner. So that's why the girls are moving around in packs giggling Mm. through this whole chapter, because they are aware that there's this emergent ceremony happening where if you are singled out by a boy, which is how it happens, Mm -hmm. if you are singled out by a boy, particularly for some sort of public or semi-public request, Mm -hmm. that is itself a ceremony that transforms you into a valuable sexual commodity. Hmm. I mean, it starts and I mean, we we you mentioned sort of Harry becoming this is a measure of Harry's sexual viability. Right. But this is how it starts. Like Harry's super unpopular before this first task. Right. Mm-hmm. Everyone thinks that he's he snuck his way into this tournament. Right. Mm-hmm. After this task, he learns that this ceremony is going to happen. The Yule Ball. And mm-hmm. I think we were saying is exactly right. Hannah, this ceremony initiates a whole other like cavalcade of secret ceremonies, social ceremonies, which are Mm -hmm. less like officially ceremonial, Mm -hmm. but they're still ceremonies. There's still all this kind of empty, maybe empty is the wrong word, but this like formed formal sort of maneuvers that people go through that are expected and people aren't really sure what they mean, but they have to inhabit those meanings. So, so Harry says like, who would want to go to the ball with me? And Ron's like, are you kidding? (laughs) You just defeated the Hungarian Hortail. All sorts of people will want to go to the ball with you. And then almost immediately after that, a third year, a curly-haired third year asks mm. him out, singles him out, right? So now, like, the ceremony of ranking mm-hmm. folks within the school, and where does this ranking come from, right? Like, these are the questions we have to ask, right? Like, mm-hmm. immediately lands upon the whole school, and everyone has to start to figure out where they fall in it and try to match themselves up with the person who falls as close to themselves or as or above themselves by this mysterious or or unspoken ranking as they can. Did you guys go to dances in uh, high school? Yes. Regrettably. Regrettably, yeah. <laughs> yes. I, the part that I, that I find the most believable is the part where the, I mean, whatever, I find the whole thing believable because it's just so full of teenage angst. But the part where the curly-haired Hufflepuff who's in third year, I think, asks Harry, and he says no before even thinking about it. Like that Mm -hmm. that experience of just knee-jerk reaction saying no. Like, Mm -hmm. why does he do do that? My guess, if I'm inhabiting my 14-year-old soul, I'm thinking about, like, Harry would knee-jerk reaction say no to someone asking him because he assumes it's a joke. Mm. Right? So there's Mm. the giggling, the seemingly silliness of the whole thing, the fact that he's scared to ask because they might say no. And then when he gets asked, he says no. I think in part because he doesn't want to look like a fool if they say, haha, just kidding. I don't want to go to the ball with you or Mm -hmm. something, you know? Which, like, does that happen? I don't know. I mean, so much of the concern through this chapter is the concern with looking silly, which Mm -hmm. is just a profoundly pubescent concern. Oh, totally. Just that anxiety of like, I'm going to do something wrong and everybody's going to laugh at me and I will never Mm -hmm. live it down. Is like the ball is honestly cruel to make a 14 year old open a ball, but Harry's not supposed to be in the tournament. Right. So it's supposed to be 17 year olds opening the ball. Yeah. Which is like, I will say, less weird. Yeah. Also, they probably <laughs> yep. wouldn't open it to fourth years and under, but they had to because 
Harry's going. It probably would be like a seniors only kind of event, like prom, That's a good point. You know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, my God. The other thing that's going on with Harry is like, in this book, he's what, 14? At least for us as readers, this is the first time Harry has actually, I think, thought in a deliberate way or experienced like being the object of desire, mm-hmm. right? At mm. least as it's been narrated, right? Totally. Which I think yeah. also is something that just kind of, he doesn't really know how to handle mm-hmm. yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? But it's also something that, that we suddenly see him and Ron sort of like projecting upon the the girls in their year yeah. and other mm-hmm. years, right? And that those are like the kind of most off-putting parts of the chapter, right? When you hear, especially Ron's language around mm-hmm. the the mm. performance of these ceremonies of ranking ourselves against the the other gender and how who asks who and how and and you know all all the things that that also make you know that are off-putting to Hermione in this chapter as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. a friend of mine once described the rituals of compulsory heterosexuality as being a variety of forms of public shaming. Hmm. And when I say compulsory heterosexuality, I mean the sort of idea that by default, society and human interaction is is structured around heterosexual desire, Mm -hmm. that heterosexuality is natural and anything else is an aberration, and thus that our sort of maturation as people will match our sort of progressive move into heterosexual romance and desire. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, that's compulsory heterosexuality is woven through this book series. Right. Like so many of these heterosexual rituals are about public humiliation in some way that you have to somehow be publicly like it's a ceremony for sure. And that ceremony is usually about something bad happening to you publicly so that you then earn your way into the next step in the journey of heterosexuality. Hmm. That's, we see that like happening in this sort of nascent way in this chapter is like, it's not Hmm. just that you have to secure a date. It's Hmm. that it's embarrassing on purpose. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. uncomfortable on purpose because that's part of the ceremony of it. Hmm. Which is Hmm. why what Fred does is so cool. <laughs> I think there's a really kind of poignant illustration of that right at the end of the chapter when they're making fun of Neville, right? Because how could Neville have a date? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Neville asked Hermione and Hermione already had a date and Ron can't believe that Hermione has a date, right? And like the, mm-hmm. all, all these kinds of, all the assumptions of this ceremony, all the, the the meanings that are implicit in the ceremonies of heteronormativity or of compulsory heterosexuality are like being played out in Ron's reactions, right? Mm -hmm. And then we learn kind of as a reveal at the end that Neville did get a date and it's Ginny, right? And Ginny is forced to feel shame about that when actually what we know about Neville is that he's a good, courageous, kind person Mm -hmm. who is probably going to be fun to be at this dance with, Mm -hmm. right? But because of the ceremonies of compulsory heterosexuality that attend to his placement within this rank order and Ginny's placement within this rank order and all these other things, she can't help but feel shame about what's going to be a fun night with a great guy. Yeah. Yeah. And she does, I think, also realize in that moment that if she'd held out, she might have been able to go with Harry. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, that's true. I yeah, think maybe. as part of her yeah. realization in that final scene as well, yeah, that like true. Harry is is desperate, and if she hadn't said yes to Neville, she could be going with Harry. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think Ginny is particularly tied up in the idea of sort of having the highest status partner. I think she just has a legit crush on Harry. 
Mm-hmm. But that is, it's always interesting to remember that, like, the Weasleys are really divided in terms of who cares about the way things appear and who doesn't. Because, yep. like, mm. Ron is yeah. so concerned with appearances. He is, yeah. 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 He is. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason, you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is Me Undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some Me Undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of Me Undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of Me Undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. You know who's not concerned with appearances or concerned in a really different way. Let's Tell me. Say. Tell me more. Fred. Okay. The way Fred asks Angelina if she wants to go to the ball with him is so mm-hmm. interesting. <laughs> Angelina. <laughs> he announces that he's going with her yeah. before yeah. he's asked her. And yeah. then he asks her in this very like, oh, great point. I should ask her. Oi, Angelina. Like, and Angelina responds exactly in kind. Yeah. She is not insulted the way that 
Hermione's insulted when Ron's like, ugh, fine. I can't get anybody yeah. else. I guess you're technically right. a girl. One of us can go with you. <laughs> like, so insulting. But Angelina is not insulted. Okay, let's talk about why. Well, there is, I mean, there all this thing we've been saying about ranking, it does say that she looks at Fred appraisingly. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, this is really interesting. But I think that's also maybe performed, right? I think that there's mm-hmm. a... Mm-hmm. I mean, anyway. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So if Fred and Angelina already have this dynamic we don't we don't know we're not told what their situation is no, if they're like Harry's journey and so we can sort of if we think about angelina as performing this appraisal then we really see that the two of them are having fun like yeah. this whole situation yep. is fun for them and again they're 17 so yep. it's fun for them in a way, or I don't know if they said they're yeah. 16 or whatever, but it's fun for them in a way that it's not fun for a 14-year-old. So the fact that Angelina doesn't already have a date suggests that either she was planning to go with Fred already or she was just going to go alone because it's okay to go to dances right. alone. <laughs> it's okay <Right>. to dance. <laughs> you don't always need to dance with somebody. <sighs> It does make me think in general about the sort of role of like counter ceremony or anti ceremony mm, that mm-hmm. when you are yep. engaging in something that has been ritualized within an inch of its life in mm-hmm. a way that yep. feels that feels empty, right? That feels mm-hmm. like, yep. oh, it's the ceremony that doesn't speak to me, that doesn't feel like it has the content I want it to have, or that mm-hmm. feels yep. restrictive, then people will often sort of like refuse that ceremony in a way that then itself becomes another kind of ceremony. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, like I'm thinking about like eloping, Mm -hmm. right? That that is sort of becomes itself a ceremony that signifies the refusal of another kind of ceremony. And there is, you know, in this, (laughs) the other thing I'm thinking about is moments on Drag Race when somebody kicks themselves off the show. Oh, which is always am I the only drag race watcher? Fine. I, Fine. It's just me. But surely somebody in the audience understands what I mean, which is that at it least is supposed one to be RuPaul's job to tell somebody mm-hmm. whether they're staying or not. And every mm-hmm. once in a while, somebody will announce that they're leaving the show. And it's so powerful because they're seizing the ceremony mm-hmm. away from the yeah. person who usually has the power to enact it. And I feel like what Fred and Angelina do in this moment is this really kind of subversive, like, we know what's expected of us. Hmm. We're not interested in participating in it. And we want to publicly signal to those around us our profound disinterest in participating in this particular version of asking somebody to the ball. Well, and this immediately precedes Harry adopting that same, not attitude, but maybe that same approach. Because when he goes to talk to Parvati, he's like, hey, do you want to go to the ball with me? Lavender, will you go with Ron? And when and when they say no, he's like, do you know someone who will? <laughs> and like, this is this is the Fred approach. Yeah. It's the like, yep. uh, do you want to just, should we, should we just, should we do, do you want to do that? Let's, let's do that. Like, oh, okay. They're not just rejecting the ceremony. They're poking fun at it in a way. Mm-hmm. And in a way that I also want to call ceremonious, right? Like mm-hmm. they are performing something against a dominant mode of performance, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is really useful. I mean, it, 
a ceremony is not the same as ritual, I don't think. But there's one a theorist of ritual, a really smart person named Catherine Bell. And she talks about ritualization, like the making of ritual or the making and establishment of ceremony mm. as a reaction against a dominant meaning, right? Mm. So you take up a practice and mm-hmm. then you alter it slightly in a way that makes it obviously different from the dominant practice in order to speak mm-hmm. back against the dominant practice. So you mm-hmm. can look at religious rituals of like, within my tradition, like the Eucharist is like, we use fancy plates and we light candles and we we incense and put on and ring bells because we're signaling this is obviously not your normal meal, right? But then they also mm-hmm. have folks, like especially in the Roman Catholic Church, where women who are not allowed to be ordained will also perform the ceremony of Eucharist of communion, but do it without all the candles and without the incense mm. and without the vestments. And they're not making it less ceremonious. Mm-hmm. Their ceremony is speaking back against a dominant meaning. And I think mm. that's really important when we see what Fred and Angelina are doing here, but because what they are recognizing in this moment of levity, and I think quite self-consciously, I think that's part of the, the moment of pause where Angelina like looks at him appraisingly. She's poking mm. fun at the way everybody else in the school is weighing everybody else and assessing their value, mm, right? Mm-hmm. And she's just saying, like, you know what? That guy's fun. He's my friend. We're going, right? Like, it's just, yeah, it's yeah. an act of ceremony, even though it doesn't look like it is, because it is lifting up these performed actions in order to speak back against other performances. Mm. Well said. Totally. Now's the time in the episode when we engage in a sacred reading practice around the chapter. This week, we are once again performing the practice of florilegia. Florilegia is a practice that comes out of the Christian monastic period where folks would basically keep quote diaries and, and assemble lines that stood out to them from the text. And then they would end up having almost like these found poems of like collections of quotes that sparkle up from the text. So we each have selected a line from the text and we're going to read that line each and then talk about what's happening and why we chose it. Marcel, can you read your line and tell us where it comes from and why you chose it? I was very excited that we were supposed to choose a line from the chapter because this line has lived in my head (laughs) (laughs) probably for as long as I've, since I first read this book. And it is, giggling should be made illegal, Harry thought furiously. And this line follows the moment when Harry doesn't ask Cho to the dance. He just asks to talk to her for a second so that she can step away from her pack because they travel in packs. And when he asks if he can talk to her for a second, all of her friends giggle furiously. And Harry wants giggling to be illegal. And I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Do you also want to criminalize giggling? No, I I do not. But I empathize with that feeling so deeply of like, please stop laughing at me. (laughs) Stop it. Take this seriously. (laughs) I love giggling. (laughs) Just not at me. Great. Thanks, Marcel. <laughs> Hannah, what's your line? <laughs> My line comes from 
Harry's refusal of a much taller fifth year who has asked him to Mm. the ball. And he says, imagine what I'd look like trying to dance with her. Mm. So I didn't choose a line that delighted me. I chose a line that made me furious because (gasps) this line Mm. makes me furious because it is such a microcosm of the way in which this character, unnamed, Mm -hmm. all that she signifies is that she is the wrong size Mm. for Harry. Mm -hmm. That it would look silly if he danced with somebody who was taller than him. Mm -hmm. And it seems like such a joke, but talk to a tall woman about her experience. Talk to a tall, straight woman about Mm. what it is like trying to date. Like, it is this idea that women must be small is so pervasive Mm -hmm. and so profoundly misogynistic and so enraging. And it just rolls off Harry's tongue so thoughtlessly in this moment. He does not know this person. He just knows without having to think twice too tall. Yeah. Thanks, Hannah. So my line comes from just after Fred asks Angelina to the ball And it's basically when Hermione has run out of patience with Ron and Harry and their conversations about their attempts to find dance partners to the ball. And to close this section of the chapter, the line reads like this. I'm going to bed, Hermione snapped. And she swept off towards the girl's staircase without another word. And I think my reaction was kind of like yours. And I was just kind of like, I I was running out of patience. (laughs) One of the things I like about Hermione is throughout this chapter, she has been more than willing to just kind of say, this is stupid. The mm-hmm. way you're approaching this is stupid, right? Fred and Angelina show it's stupid in a different way and kind of a, in a subversive way that has some levity and like humor, like I, the way they ask mm-hmm. each other or the way that Fred asks Angelina to the ball in this moment. But Hermione is also saying this whole thing is dumb. The way you're approaching this is dumb. And she just says it and says, indicates she's out of patience with it and and goes to bed, right? Mm-hmm. And and I just, I don't know, I just, we joke on this podcast, or maybe we don't joke. Vanessa often says that, you know, Hermione's always right and is perfect. I don't know if that's entirely true. In this case, like, she perfectly kind of encapsulates, the, like, how I was feeling in the chapter and just where I was ready to go with it. Mm-hmm. Ready to kind of get through this, whatever narrative purpose the description of these two boys is doing for the story, I was ready to move on from it and get something else. Oh, my God. Hermione would like to be excluded from the narrative. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so yes. let's put our, our three sentences together and see what we find. Oh, my God. So I'll read, them. I'll read all three. Mm. Mm-hmm. Giggling should be made illegal, Harry thought furiously. Imagine what I'd look like trying to dance with her. I'm going to bed, Hermione snapped, and she swept off towards the girl's staircase without another word. Oh, everybody's mad. There's a lot. Boy, there's a, you're right. There's a lot of anger yeah. in this. Yeah. Oof. Isn't it interesting to pull out this, like, a chapter that is supposedly about romance? Mm. And it's yep. just seething underneath with this yeah. anger and frustration and failure. And, like, it's, <laughs> everybody's so upset. Mm-hmm. We didn't really talk about why Ron has such a lousy attitude yeah. about girls and and about, like, why he performs this kind of 
hyper-selectiveness when he's so embarrassed by his dress robes and he's so Hmm. embarrassed about not having a date. And he then becomes so embarrassed that Hermione has a date that he refuses to believe it. And and I think he's really doing this like defensiveness, like he's using condescension and being hypercritical as a kind of hmm. defense mechanism because he himself is afraid of being hmm. rejected. And so it's interesting to look at like these two instances where Hermione's angry, Harry is angry, and Ron is really kind of just scared throughout this chapter. And I just, I feel bad for him. There is fear underpinning all of these lines, isn't there? Yeah. Like fear yeah. and anxiety and and longing and all of these these sort of deeper, more poignant feelings that they don't know how to articulate and so Mm -hmm. instead they're mad Mm -hmm. yeah i mean it's really like striking how much negative affect just how all three of our lines you know just distills from the chapter like these compulsory ceremonies the ones that Mm -hmm. we like feel like we've just tumbled into whether we want to be brought into them or not because they constrain us because they force us into uncomfortable situations or situations that we don't understand or can't live up to, they elicit from us anger and fear and Mm -hmm. lack of self-worth and all these things, which we see coming out even in these characters who, you know, by our understanding, are heterosexual, right? Or or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Like, even these ceremonies that try to enforce it upon these these characters, they it just draws out of them pain and anger and frustration and uncertainty and fear. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to read them in the reverse order now, and we'll see if anything new emerges. I'm going to bed, Hermione snapped, and she swept off towards the girl's staircase without another word. Imagine what I'd look like trying to dance with her. Giggling should be made illegal, Harry thought furiously. I mean, interestingly now, at least in terms of the sense of the new paragraph, the her refers to Hermione, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But who's the speaker? Is it Harry? Because we're in Harry's head, and by the third sentence... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. What I really like about this reversal is that Hermione gets to opt out at the beginning. Yeah. It creates this image of Hermione being yeah. like, actually, I'm just gonna go, and then you can <laughs> you can go ahead yeah. and do and the other, you know, the anxieties about how you would look and giggling happen after Hermione has exited the scene. And that mm-hmm. feels very powerful to me, the option to exit mm-hmm. the scene prior to the mm-hmm. rest yep. of this nonsense. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, the other thing is that, like, despite all the angst and unsettledness that these ceremonies are causing the children in this chapter, the one person who rejects it all, or the one person who outwardly and explicitly rejects it all, which is Hermione, is an outsider to everybody else, right? Mm-hmm. We see that throughout the chapter. She's like, I'm going to bed. You all are talking about this. I'm going to bed. Mm-hmm. Ordering the sentences in this way makes that even more stark, right? Because she says, I'm going to bed. And then imagine what it would be like trying to dance with her. Oh, by opting out of this ceremony, you are no longer a viable candidate to be part of the ceremony. And isn't that bad for you, even though it's exactly where Hermione wants to be? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But where's the giggling? I don't know, Marcel, do you, do you have a sense of what the giggling means now? I mean, you know, when we read it in the first order, it was really clear that while I read it as funny, 
Harry is not experiencing it as funny. Whereas in this order, with Hermione leaving first, I kind of think it becomes funny again. Like, there Hmm. doesn't seem to be fear underpinning it. And instead, it, it feels almost like, like... You know, when you use the word furiously, not to mean angrily, but like with a lot of energy. Like frantically. Kind of? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. I'm typing furiously. So it doesn't feel like it belongs. If I were editing this paragraph, I would circle it and say new paragraph. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, but I do think it becomes funny again. Like giggling should be made illegal. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thanks, Hannah and Marcel, for doing Florology with me this week. Ah, what a treat. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Now we have a voice memo from Emily. Hello, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text team. My name is Emily and I use she, her pronouns. And I just finished your episode talking about the Vilas and how they show this gross patriarchal idea that men cannot control their own reactions around women. And I think that's incredibly valid Uh, However, I wonder if there's another lens through which to view the Vila, which is a lens of female empowerment, Um, stuck in a patriarchal system that reduces them to sex objects. The Vila turned that into a point of power. They basically take it to, if you're going to reduce me to only a sex object, it will be your undoing on your head, be it. 
which I think is really interesting. Um, and definitely a commentary on the patriarchy that we live in. And one of the reasons that Hermione might be so uncomfortable during that would be because that patriarchy is on display. Often it is so within the air that we breathe that it's easy to forget. It's easy to not notice. But when the Vila appear, they make that subtext text. They make that very clear. It might also explain why some men like Mr. Weasley have an easier time resisting them and not wanting to jump off a balcony. They might see women as more complex, be a little bit more feminist, whereas younger teenage boys or more chauvinistic men have a harder time because they um, can still fall into that trap of seeing women as sex objects. Well, I don't think Ron and Harry are super chauvinistic, I think that being teenage boys makes that a little bit harder. So anyway, thank you so much. I just, I love, I love the idea of Mr. Weasley as being more resistant to the Vilas because he is a feminist and sees women as complex people and not exclusively as sex objects. That is, I think, a, a delightful reading and one that I welcome because I want Mr. Weasley to be my dad. And I would like to believe that my dad thinks women are people. <laughs> yeah, we did a little eye rolling at the <laughs> Ron not being chauvinistic. Ron is absolutely a chauvinist yeah. at this point in his life. Yeah, I think Harry a little less so, but there's a reason why Ron is so susceptible to the Vilas. Yeah. I like this. I like this reading though. Mm-hmm. I think it's. I think it's really yeah. sort of there in the text of who the Vilas are. Is that it's not just what they mean, but also how men react to them tells us a lot mm-hmm. about the men who are reacting to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Emily, thanks for this reading and for this this voice memo. I, I'm just struck by how you're highlighting of the sort of subtle ceremonies of patriarchy and misogyny, how we see echoes of that in this chapter as well, right? I mean, partly with a person who's part Vila, mm-hmm. right? Fleur is one of the people that's involved in this rank order that, you know, Ron in these early moments of his chauvinism are trying to find his that's way right. into. Mm-hmm. And you're calling back that earlier scene. We can see the echoes of it really here. So I'm really grateful to have your voice memo as we're doing this reading around ceremony and the resistant reading you offer us and give us to think about. Yeah. I like on your head be it is gonna stick with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> now is the time in the episode when we remember those in our community who have been loved and lost. Rolf Arnold Friedrich Metzler. 81, a seeker and finder, a gardener, a father and grandfather. Anthony Spilker Metzler, 54. She would have loved this project. Diane, 77, a traveler on the scenic route. Yan Zhao, 20 a stellar Quidditch player with a sweet soul. Cleo, a loving best friend who was brave and always curious.
Ruth, a weaver, reader, and loving grandmother. Let light perpetual shine upon all of them. Now it's time for blessings. Who are you blessing this week, Hannah? I mean, appropriately enough for the memo we just heard, I'm blessing Fleur Delacour for being so much more than a pretty face, even though that's all Ron wants her to be. Mm. That's great. Thanks, Marcel. How about you? I'm blessing Neville because I don't ever want him to hear the way that people talk about him as a potential date. And because I think it was really brave of him to get back on that horse of compulsory heterosexuality and ask Ginny to the dance after he'd been rejected by Hermione. Good for you, Neville. (laughs) So I'm going to bless this week Eloise Midgen. You know, we had the the fifth-year girl who was too tall for Harry who remains nameless, and I think that namelessness is is something that you drew attention to, Hannah, which is important. Eloise is a character who is given a name, but she's given a name because she's characterized as uniquely undesirable, uniquely ill-fitted mm-hmm. to the schematic of desirability that all these folks are creating ceremonies around. All these children are being invited to create ceremonies around. And I just feel bad for Eloise. I'm with Hermione, who says afterwards, she's really nice, right? And her acne's gotten a lot better. Try to look beyond the thing you're looking at, at this really nice person who deserves to have fun at a party, too. So I just hope Eloise got a date. I hope she got to the ball. I hope that she had a good time. And blessings on her, whether she did or not. Next week, we're going to be reading book four, chapter four, The Yule Ball, with our special friend and frequent co-host, Jolie Doggett, through the theme of change. Thank you, Hannah Marcel. Thank you. This was a delight. Thank you. Just one reminder before we give our thanks. Please remember that you can subscribe for ad-free episodes on your Apple Podcasts app. And also, while you're there, leave us a review if you enjoy the podcast. This has been a Not Sorry production, and Not Sorry Productions is a feminist production company. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman. Our engineer is Malika Gumpankum. We're edited and produced by AJ Yaramas. Our music is by Ivan Paisao and Nick Boll. And we are distributed by ACAST. Thanks this week to Emily for her voicemail. To Laura Glass, Julia Argy, Margaret H. Willison, Nikki Zoltan, Hannah Rehack, Courtney Brown, Casper Terkyle, Stephanie Paulsell, and especially to Hannah McGregor and Marcel Cosman, who joined us from the Witch Please podcast. And also, of course, thank you to all of you who sent in the names of those you have loved and lost this week. This is my my very first time on. Why did you Harry decline Potter's to attend last time? Probably a bad attitude. <laughs> we sort of don't like to let Marcel out much Mm-mm. because yeah. she's, let's say, like twenty five percent feral. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She's mostly good, but she might bite. Yeah, yeah. Mostly good, but pretty bad. Mostly good, but relatively bad. Also. <laughs> Not like me. I'm an angel. Yes. Yes, that's true. That's her. That's Hannah's official title. Um, 
in the the witch please um credits yeah yeah angel angel, angel. 